Now in its third year, it's a yank on the footy with Craig Wessels talking about the greatest game on the face of the earth. Sit back and enjoy, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 127 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels coming to you from Sandusky, Ohio, and thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I had the good fortune of getting not only a great tutorial on footy away from the AFL, but also a rather interesting geopolitical lesson as well. I sat down with someone who's been associated with the Albury Tigers for many years, and as many of you know, Albury is a town that lies on the Murray River on the New South Wales side of the border with Victoria. It was really interesting to learn about the dynamics between the two states over the last couple of years, especially during COVID. And it was just a, a an exciting conversation, had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, and uh, really enjoyed talking with Simon. And I think you're going to like that as well. Now, the club of the episode, of course, is the Albury Tigers, who they who play in the Oven Ovens and Murray League. And best of luck to the Tigers as they go forward here in 2022. Now, don't forget that you can find everything related to the podcast over at my website, yankonthefooty.com. I hope you'll consider checking it out. You can get signed up on my mailing list there. I hope you will do that. It's a great opportunity for me to be able to keep in touch with you when I put out new uh, blog posts or when a new episode comes out. I drop that in the email so it shows up in most cases, several hours before a new episode would uh, end up on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or over on Google Podcasts or whatever podcast host that you're listening to. So if you're somebody who's always looking for the new episode to come out, you're going to want to sign up for the mailing list over there, and it'll get to you as soon as it gets published. You can also leave me a question there or a voicemail, or if you're somebody who would like to be a guest on the show, you can also head over there and do that. And... Uh, sign up on the register as a guest page. I'm still looking for a few supporters, uh, namely the Suns, the Swans, the Tigers, and the Lions to come on and talk about their club uh, in 2022. I've got, uh, I believe, nine or ten interviews already done or scheduled, and I'm going to be putting those out a couple of weeks here uh, between now and when the season starts up. And I'd love to talk to you about your club, especially if we don't have uh, one lined up as of this point in time. If you want to help out the podcast, you may want to check out my Buy Me a Coffee page, which is down in the bottom left-hand corner of the website, the little yellow button down there. And if you're interested in any of the podcast merch, you can also head over to my Redbubble page as well. So sit back and enjoy my talk with Simon Cross of the Albury Tigers. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is part of an extended footy family who has seen cousins play the game at the highest level, still involved in the highest level as of today, as well as having a father and an uncle being part of their club's team of the century and being part of their life membership. I'd like to welcome Simon Cross from the Albury Tigers to the podcast. Simon, thanks for coming on this morning, sir. Thanks for getting up. Absolute pleasure. Well, it's a, yeah, I mean, I'll get my ass out of bed soon enough. It's 10 to 11 over here at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's all good timing. Well, and, and as you said, you had company over last night, so I'm not sure how much sleep you got anyway. So I know yeah, it's a bit of a sleepover for the girls. So they're yeah. fine. They're, so, they're good. so did they wear out the Disney plus last night? No, no, I think they were just mainly playing in their rooms. Okay. 
12 years old, so they just um, had enough to do in there. Okay. So you, you know, you reached out to me actually, I believe back in November and I was on my website and I was scrolling through the people who had left messages there. And I, uh, and I, and as I'm reading through it, I'm realizing there's no contact info on here. So I had to, I had to find you, which is, which is not a big deal, but I had to go find you on social media. And I, your name is, is a slightly common name. Because as I when I went on to Instagram and I went to Twitter, there were multiple Simon Crosses. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and go directly to the source. So I, I copied the information that you'd shared to me, and actually sent it as uh, on your team's or your club's website under the contact us there. So they didn't think that I was some crazy person trying to track you down. I said, here's what he sent to me, and if you could pass this along, that'd be great. And and almost instantaneously, you got back in touch with me, and we we went ahead and set this up here, you know, in the span of just overnight. So great to be talking with you here but you're well thank you're in, you for reaching out as well yeah yeah it, I'm, it's, it's nice to take the opportunity to um to, to share uh experiences about the, about this game of ours yeah because you know you're you know when when you reached out you know it, one of the things that i've been wanting to learn more about is is kind of just how the the local footy um competitions work because you know yeah you know i've i've heard you know the names of some of these clubs you know we were talking off air about the murray bush rangers and that sort of thing so you know i that's a name i'm very familiar with because you know you look at the list of players in the, in the afl a lot of those players have played for that club at one time or another yeah uh the murray bush rangers do that does encompass um a large area of country victoria i mean um where i am in albury all the way across to shepparton um, which is another strong uh, country town in in uh, for afl um down to wangaratta um yeah the murray bush rangers encompasses a large area and it, it has to in order to compete with um the metropolitan um tac cup teams i mean okay. they've got a large a large pool of players to draw upon so yeah the, the big country sort of needed that as well and uh, to their credit, the Murray Bush Rangers have consistently been a, a strong team uh, within the TAC Cup. So, mm. okay. So, so you're involved with the uh, the Albury Tigers, and you've and you work within that organization. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with the club? Uh, yeah, I came into the position actually at the start of last year, um, just um, looking after the bar. Um, and the functions that we have at the club. Um, in fact, it's the only. The only paid positions at the club are those that um, work behind the bar. Um, everyone else, entirely everyone else, is a volunteer. Um, the the gentleman who was previously uh, in the position um, was more of a an entire. He was looking after the entire club uh, as a manager. Um, obviously, within the club, you'd have those people that are in a paid position, but also you have a, a board as well. So any position is answerable to the board. We have a, a vice president, a president, secretary, treasurer, and then obviously an invested group of, of members who, who always make their um, uh, their interests known as well um, within the club. But David was there and he left because COVID was happening. So there was a, a, a shortfall of uh, things happening. And then um, I... It was a casual position uh, available and I came along and I had an experience in hospitality and then they saw 
my name and knew that I had an affiliation, a strong affiliation with the club and said, well, would you like to, to manage the bar? And I said, I would not have a problem in the world with that because I felt very, very comfortable um, okay. being there. So, you know, this, you, you having this, you know, the, the bar at the club in, in, in the facility there, is this something that is open all the time or is it only open on like game days or during the season or is this is this like a what could be considered a a local watering hole where people who are tiger supporters no. can show up there uh yeah no not quite i mean we'd love to be in a position where we would be able to open it on a regular basis but um pre uh, just coming out of covid i think the, the current situation is that we're definitely always open on game day um, okay. that's our, our main operation um but then also we open up for for particular functions that want to hire the room as well. Um, birthdays, anniversaries, and those type of things. And we've consistently had um, at least two or three a month, um, which has been quite good coming out of COVID um, to, to, to try and get things moving financially for the club as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the, the functions do generate a certain amount of revenue um a lot more comes from sponsorship and things like that but um part and parcel of what you want to offer sponsors as well is something good that they can we'll have game days where um we we have a, a balcony upstairs quite a large balcony and we'll often have the sponsors out there on the balcony um enjoying a, a drink and something to eat while they're watching the football um if it wasn't for the fact that <laughs> that it sort of looks directly into the sun when it's setting, <laughs> uh, it'd be a fantastic spot. It'd be a fantastic spot to watch the football from. Okay. The funny thing, funny thing is, is that all the, all the old heads, all the, all the guys of my dad's generation always watch, they operate the, um, I'll put in quotation marks at the can bar. So players, uh, people can purchase alcohol mm -hmm. uh, from there. They, that's on the other side of the ground. The other side of the ground where they don't have to look into the sun as right. the game's progressing. They're smart. Well, they're savvy. They've seen it before. As as they say, with age comes wisdom. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you know, you you've uh, you're, you know, you you work with a club. You're involved with a club that is in in kind of a unique situation geographically geographically mm. i should say uh, and me having a degree in geography i just butchered the word geography <laughs> there and i i feel like a complete idiot but you know what it's it's been a long day there uh yeah because because you're in you know a, a, a city that is right on the border between new south wales and victoria and you have a you know you have a sister city if you will right across the murray river that mm. is part of like this you know it's kind of like what we would see here in the United States in Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul, which are two cities that are right across Dallas and Fort Worth for the Texas theme there. But, you know, the last couple of years have had to be very interesting with regards to COVID and restrictions and lockdowns. And I, and I'm, and I'm going through that and having watched the news from afar in terms of what's going on in Australia, I was wondering, you know, how much was this actually like East Berlin and you know we need to see your papers, please, before you can cross the the bridge. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, tell us what that was like because you know, you know, yes, there were lockdowns in Melbourne, but they were still in. They were not necessarily trying to go from interstate. So tell us about mm. that. Um, well, it's it's funny. I can speak to the football side of it as it relates last year, and it was quite funny, sort of 
getting into the year, everything was going fine. And then um, there started to be, I think it was the Delta outbreak started. And mm -hmm. so um, certain it was difficult because the New South Wales government, the, obviously where we are in Albury and in our competition, we have of the, the 10 teams, we have three are situated in Albury. There's us, Albury, North Albury and Lavington. So it was a bit hard to sort of see what was going to happen or what the, the ovens of Murray, uh, what they were going to do um, because New South Wales would have one set of restrictions, but then Victoria would have another. Um, there were a lot of things that were thrown up in the air, like potentially um, having all the games in Albury. Um, but then you'd have people traveling across the border and then back. And if they went back, if there was a positive case, would they have to isolate things like this? And it just <clears throat> in the end, it just thought, no, this is going to cause too many headaches. They had to end, um, end up um, cutting the season short just before the, the finals, um, which was uh, tough on, not tough as in like it was a hardship, but um, just tough because we just finished the season undefeated in all grades which was a difficult task and something we haven't done in a while and so the all grades were really looking forward to the finals yeah i can imagine i can imagine, but, imagine. Um, the the competition as it is um it's one of those things where you know, once you get to finals it's a whole different ball game mm -hmm and anything can happen. So that's why everyone was, was really uh, interested in it. Um, personally, it was, it was uh, with crossing the border. Um, it, it wasn't too bad. I, I live in New South Wales, but work in Victoria. And um, so there, there were uh, across the freeway there, you'd have some mornings where you'd be backed up in traffic, trying to get across the border. Um, but to get a, a permit itself, um, you just go online and it took about five minutes. You printed it out. Okay. You, know, you made you made sure you had what you had. Um, but yeah, they weren't um, they weren't really stringent. Oh, well, they were stringent on it. Like you had to have your license and you had to have um, the permit to go across. And um, if you didn't, then most people went to the side of the road and had to try and download it there, I guess. Or um, just got turned back. Um, but they made it fairly well known uh, what the rules were, um, as in going across and coming back. Um, it was restrictive, but not too difficult. Okay, um, well, that's... Mainly, mainly because everyone was aware of the situation. Um, some people did try to run the gauntlet. Um, I famously, one lady tried... Oh, I can't exactly recall at the moment, um, but she tried some shenanigans at the border and, and you know, videotaped herself. And I'm, I remember something it sort like of backfired that, yeah. on her. Yes, yes. That's, yeah, uh... the, the, there was uh, more people sort of came around saying, well, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. There you go. So, um, but yeah, my, my... you got the, you got the 20, 20... Yeah, no, go ahead. You got the 2021 season played with the exception of finals now how did how did pretty how, much yeah how did 2020 happen or did it happen did, did it get just shut down it did okay. um i think okay. they made i think they got uh the initial few games uh played 
but yeah, it eventually, um, yeah, got shut down fairly about halfway through the season, I think. Okay. And it's, you know, and as you said that these are, you know, these are clubs that are relying on sponsorships and, and such, you know, not necessarily unlike the, the AFL, uh, but, you know, businesses were impacted by this as well. So they've been, you know, in some cases they've probably been, they've had to be a little bit more constricted in terms of the, the funds that they've been able to provide to, you know, for sponsorships or things because of the, the impact on them economically as well. So this has kind of been a situation where it's kind of percolated from, from them down to the club. So you're, you're maybe having to figure out other avenues. It has. And whilst um, a lot of, uh, like I was uh, sort of explaining off air before we've got the, the ovens and Murray, which is the, the larger competition within Mm -hmm. the border area. And then to the North of us is one of the satellite competitions known as the, the Hume league. And to the south is the Telangata League. Um, it's more those type of leagues and, and leagues further out in the country areas. They're the ones that really struggled. Um, you know, they're the ones that were you know, relying on sponsorships from businesses. Mm-hmm. They're relying on gate takings and things like that. Uh, a lot of those clubs are the ones that really struggled. And it'll be interesting to see in the next few years, um, how many may have to fold or are still viable after these last couple of years. Um, because yeah, it has had a, a much bigger impact, pardon me, on the, the smaller type clubs. Yeah, I was what I was wondering that if they're gonna fold or do you or do you possibly see where maybe some of these clubs have to merge with one another? It's been a condition for the last oh, 10 years, I'd say. Um, and slowly, slowly, um, people aren't living in these smaller towns. The smaller towns are finding it harder, more difficult to field um, teams. Um, not even like typically they would all have first and second grade teams mm-hmm. and, and they're finding it quite difficult to do both. And I think COVID has just sort of, yeah, put it on, put that, circumstance on steroids um it it become quite difficult for a lot of those clubs uh yeah to to stay um stay playing and actually leagues as well um Mm -hmm. yes not just a couple of clubs maybe leagues amalgamating um and hopefully making for for better competitions but i think it's just a a reality um that we've just got to accept as well is that we just can't have a football team for every town. Well, that's, that's, and, and, and when you have, you know, cause you know, looking at your club's website, you know, you've got, you know, you've gone from your, your a graders down to where, you know, you have, you know, kids playing at the os kick level kind of under the umbrella of the tigers, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. D, and again, you, you know, you have to, of course you have to have those, those younger kids playing to help, you know, feed yep. into the upper levels so you you know if you don't have you know the large enough populations to do that then they're they're going to certainly have to consider finding other avenues well like you said whether it whether it is combining or they you know or you know the kids are going to have to say they're going to have to hop in the car and travel further to go play for another local club that's not really local to them but if they want to play mm. the game they're going to have to go there to do it well uh, even a step further this is talking about how Aubrey has 
three O&M clubs. Mm-hmm. They actually have in that Hume League, the one to the north, um, one club, you know, actually uh, one club is in Aubrey, the Murray Magpies, and another one's about 15 minutes outside of that, Jindra. Actually, how long is only about 15 minutes outside as well. But then to the south as well, um, there is a team, Thaguna, um, which is the suburb I live in. Thaguna play in the Talangata League as well. So there's actually five clubs in Albury. It's just that three of them are in the Ovens of Murray, one's in the Hume and one's in the Talangata. Okay. And so, yeah, even though the, the population is, is strong here in Albury, there's still competition for um, for those players. And when you go into that Hume League north of Albury, um, there still will be a lot of players from Albury itself, people rather from Albury that play in those leagues. And and same with the Talanga down to Victoria. So, yeah, it's trying to get players out to, to these clubs as well. And for the depth, I mean, every club has two, two grades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to get them there consistently as well. And then once they do, I mean, it's it's that competitive spirit as well. I mean, you, you try to get the best out of the players and so you try to, you, you want to put demands on players to be fit, to be ready. But at the end of the day, you've got to remember that this is a social activity and people are doing this for the fun more than anything else. And if people start getting to the point where they're not enjoying their football, Right, right. They won't, won't play. Right, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of like you know we were talking you know before we before we hit record you know about how you know that this is a you know one person podcast that I have to remind myself from time to time that it's a hobby because it's you know there's a yep. there's a lot of work involved with my hobby and and I and I wouldn't have it any other way because I absolutely love doing it, but it's you know it, there there are times where I get you know I panicked a little bit when you emailed me last night and said well how about tomorrow I was like. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I emailed that and I thought it was Wednesday. Oh, <laughs> and I walked away and so you, like, oh man, that's tomorrow morning. <laughs> so you, so you thought you had an extra day as well. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, wow. So, you know, you, you mentioned in, in the notes that you provided over on the website that you've got a couple of uh, players playing for the Tigers who had previously been in the AFL. Um, mm. Now, are those yeah? And the names that you mentioned were, were Jeff Garlett and uh, Anthony Miles, and I, those are two names I'm not familiar with. So, gentlemen, if you mm-hmm. listen to this, I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, but Daniel did come back and play. I don't think he, he's not going to do it this year. But Dan played the last uh, played the last several years actually up here in Albury as well. Oh, your cousin? Yes. Okay. So after well, he finished in, in the AFL. Um, he reached out to the club because he's too hungry. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't stop. And obviously wanted to come back and play for, for a while too. And um, didn't, doesn't play every single game, but when the opportunity arose, um, yeah, he made himself available to play up here in Albury. Um, Jeff, Jeff Garlett, Jeffy Garlett, oh, absolute goal sneak. He was in the AFL. Um, Jeff was a, a small forward, uh, played for Carlton and played for Melbourne. Um, would he, he kick goals um, that would just astound you. Um, he's um, a terrific guy. He's been up here since last year. Okay. Um, 
and um, and he's had an impact here as well because he's been um, he's been working at uh, with some of the schools um, for with kids who um, uh, need a little bit of extra attention, shall we say? Okay. And so he, he's had an impact up here in the community, um, not just through his football, but through what he's been doing off the field as well. Um, Anthony Miles is a local boy. He's from how long? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, geez, I hope I didn't get that wrong. Um, we, we do actually have a strong affiliation with um, the How Long Football Club, um, which is in the Hume League. Um, yeah, Anthony played for Richmond um, for several years, um, was an absolute ball magnet, and I was so happy I got him on my super coach team when he was a rookie, a super coach of his mm-hmm. translation for fantasy football. Oh yeah, I've um, got I've got my super coach team going. Yes. <laughs> so he was brilliant for me, so I've always been a fan of Anthony's. Um and then he spent the last year up in the Gold Coast, or well, not last year, but um his the last years he was playing was uh, up in the Gold Coast and then famously came back down to Aubrey. He's currently our co-coach uh co-coach. I'll spit it out. Um yeah, he's our co-coach. Okay, has so been for the last couple of years I won our best and fairest last year too. Okay, so the players that are playing at the highest level in in the Ovens and Murray League, they they're they're considered professionals, so they're they're earning a stipend, they're earning a, a bit of a salary, but it's not it's not a full time position. No, correct? no. Okay, yeah, so it's, it's, so it's semi semi professional. Okay, I think would be the best way to, to okay. summarize it. Um, they'd still need a yeah. You still absolutely need to have a job. So uh, in 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 many ways, it it kind of mirrors what the AFLW players are doing right now, but, may, yeah, but maybe or, even on a, on a smaller scale. Yeah, or what the the AFL or what the VFL used to be like mm-hmm. in the eighties and right, the seventies. Right. Yeah, you still will get paid. I mean, there's got to be an incentive. Um, uh, but they, yeah, it's not something to live off. You still need a full time right. job. Okay, so and I'm I'm assuming then that the clubs, you know you know, knock on wood, you know, they're a player gets injured because it had, it's been known to happen in this game. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that, I mean, is there, is there like insurance that's involved with that to help cover costs for um, rehabilitation or that sort of thing? Should that sort of thing arise or are they, uh, I think it may, that mainly be down to the players having their own private insurance. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure about that actually. Okay. I know I didn't. Yeah, there wasn't anything covered um, back when I played. You'd have the the private insurance. Um, I don't know. There, there may be um, sort of incentive um, incentives for them to sign by providing that uh, in contracts. Actually, that would be a bad idea. But um, yeah, I think for the most part, um, the players will have their private insurance. Um, but it's one of those community type things as well. Like if if someone does get injured. There's plenty of people around to help out and, and okay. things like that as well. That's good. That's good. So the clubs have to be very community orientated mm-hmm. um, simply because 90, 99% of the people who are involved with the club are involved in a voluntary um, situation. So, yeah, they have a lot of love, uh, whichever club it is. Um, the vol- like we have a very strong, it was, it sings to our um, success at the Sydney 2000 games. The Sydney 2000 games were so successful because we had an outpouring of volunteers who mm-hmm. wanted to come along and be a part of it. And um, yeah, if there's something to do or um, 
something to get involved with that requires helping out somebody else. Aussies are really good for that. Uh, they'll you know, roll the sleeves up and, and get involved um, because you know just like being a part of something bigger that may not necessarily give thanks or have praise, but you know, okay. we, 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 we see the bigger thing at the end of the day. And that, that sort of sings to all the clubs, um, no matter what level. Um, people have been on, you know, been involved in football clubs for decades with, with, no, with no monetary, uh, no thanks and things right, like right. that. They, but, they, but they do it because, yeah, they love the joy of, of what, comes, what comes afterwards, mm-hmm. what comes with being a part of the clubs. Now, you mentioned, you know, that Anthony was, was a, a, a local gentleman that, that was from that area who had played mm-hmm. in the Hume League before he had come down there. But you mentioned also that, that Je- Jeff Garlett was not from around there. How, how does, you know, for a, for a semi-pro position, how does, a mm-hmm. club, how does a club go about bringing somebody well, like that into the, into the side? Well, I think, um, I think Jeff... I think Jeffy's affiliation came because Dan was playing at Melbourne when Jeff was there as well. Okay. Okay. And I, I think um, uh, Jeffy just still had that um, that desire to play a bit more, and so Dan reached out and said, "Well, look, if you're still interested in playing a little bit, we've got an opportunity up here um, this year. Actually, it's there's quite a few um, AFL players coming up, um, and." making teams stronger um adam schneider who previously played for sydney and was i pretty sure involved with their grand final teams um i can't Os- i think he was from osmond um which is to the north of here okay uh, he's current he's going to be coaching lavington this year and obviously when you've got an ex-afl player of that caliber i don't think he'll be playing he will probably get roped into playing a game or two, <laughs> but it, it incentivizes other people to come to that club. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Gibson Gibbons uh, played for Carlton. He was a small forward. Okay. Um, he's gone to, he's gone to Yarrawonga this year. Um, a name escapes me, but Merleford, I believe picked up someone. Um, Darren Creswell, um, former Sydney great um, is, been coaching Yarrawonga for the last couple of years and um, oh, sorry, uh, Wangaratta Rovers, I should say. He's been coaching at the Wangaratta Rovers for the last few years. He, um, I think his son's playing there. And because of his connection, Paul Ruse has decided to come down for a few games and send, sit in the box with him. Paul Ruse okay. famously. Yes. Yes. Fitzroy player and uh, Sydney coach. Yep. Um, so I think sometimes there is that um i keep saying the word incentive but a better word escapes me for the moment to to come to the country um where football is played mainly for the joy of the game um rather than the pressure of always competing to to your best i mean they still try to get the best out of these players but Sometimes you've just got to sit back and remember that it is just a game. Right. But there also, there may be also the actual job opportunity for an actual, you know, nine to five job, if you will, that in that community that could, you know, lead them to that, that area or that club. Well, yeah. And if they can get a job 
um, mm-hmm. out in the country. That's it's a yeah different type of lifestyle. It's a little bit you know a lot easier um, being in a, a smaller place as well. You sort of escape that um, no, the no, notoriety within the city. So oh, and another one as well. Uh, he just retired at the end of last year. Dean Polo. Dean Polo has been playing with us for several years now. Um, he was a former Richmond player. Okay. Um, Dean Polo famously had probably one of the greatest debuts of all time. Um, but he was also with Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these guys, um, you know, you get them around the younger players um, and they, the, the younger guys, they, they see the, the work ethic that's required um, and just the way that they can, they can teach other players, these younger players as well about how to see the game, how to read the game, um, different situations. Um, I think Palsy is going to have, he's still, although retired, he's going to have involvement with the club um, next year as well, which is invaluable because yeah, you, you can't, um, They've got a knowledge a knowledge base and a depth of knowledge about the game that, that can't be touched, um, and their input into the club, um, not only at a, a a level of playing, but a level of um, <clears throat> of of what they what they bring to the club off the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just just as valuable. Okay, so. You know, you mentioned that you've got, you know, five clubs in kind of that metropolitan area right there. Are there, which one would you say would be the Tigers' biggest rival? <clears throat> Bloody Lavington. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, no, Lavington, yeah, definitely at the moment. Um, uh, the, big, the, the, the biggest competition is actually the two Wangaratta teams at the moment. They're, they're quite strong. We've always had a strong rivalry with Lavington and Wodonga. Um, we play North Albury every Anzac Day, um, which is uh, our Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, North Albury haven't been quite strong uh, in a few years, um, but um, that's that's the cycle that it always goes. I remember when Albury, um, back in the early 90s, nearly went bankrupt. Um, and may have been staring down the barrel of, of folding as well. Okay. Um, but, but you know, they, they came back and um, resurrected the club and famously uh, Paul Spargo, who played for North Melbourne during the 80s and whose young son, Charlie, was just involved with Melbourne. He was on the, the, the team there, just won the premiership. Mm-hmm. Um, Sparks came back to Aubrey in the mid nineties, um, and we won three flags, 95, 96 and 97. Um, so it, it always happens. Clubs will have a downtime, um, and then they'll be able to pull in perhaps a, a good coach. who can bring a couple of good players in. Um, Aubrey has had success very consistently over the last 10 years, 12 years. 10 years. Yeah, I won't go that far back. Um, well, yeah, 12 years, actually, what am I talking about? Um, but the one thing that's always happened is people haven't been able to see, and because we have bought some good players in, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we've been developing younger players extremely well. And 
that has led to that longevity of success that we've had. Yes, we've been able to bring in marquee players during that time, but our depth, I mean, that success that we've had over the last 15 years isn't just because we've had a successful senior side. Our seconds have also been extremely good. And the thirds, thirds have always been developing players. So you can have those really good marquee players come in from uh, ex-AFL, right, even right. ex-players that have played in the, the SANFL mm-hmm. uh, or the Waffle, WA. Mm-hmm. They, they bring players in, but you've got to be developing these younger kids and keep these younger kids keen and interested right, right. Um, so that, that you can have the longevity. That makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. All right. So you were, uh, you know, off air and the information you provided you. And in fact, in the intro that I gave you, I suppose we need to address that. You know, we talked about how you've got a, a family who's been involved with this game, but in many cases, more specifically, this club for a long time. Can you tell us mm. a little bit about your, your family's history with the Albury Tigers? Well, actually, to start on dad's, or it's mainly uh, dad's side, but um, way back to his um, his uncle, Bill, um, was famously involved with the Gingera team, where Gingera is a about 15 minutes outside of Albury in the Hume League. And there's a photo up in their club rooms back in 1923, I think he was uh, in the premiership team there. But, yeah, then dad... Um, his first game for Albury, I think, was in about 68 or 69. He was only about 16 at the time. And Dad ended up playing all the way till 85. Dad played about 220 games for Albury, um, which was the record at the time. And then a few years later, my uncle broke that record by playing about 230 games. So <laughs> my um, father, Terry, and his younger brother, um, my uncle, Peter, both played for Aubrey. Um, Dad, I think Dad won four best and fairest. Um, Peter won a best and fairest, but I think he came second by one vote on, or one or two votes on a couple of occasions. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they were both um, stalwarts club there for, for many years. And um, initially, they didn't, there wasn't a lot of success at Aubrey during the 70s. Um, I think it was when they won the they won two flags in eighty two and eighty five, which were the ones that um, uh, Dad and Peter were lucky enough to be involved with. Um, um, my uh, Peter had uh, two boys. I've got a younger sister. Um, Peter had two boys and a girl. Um, the boys being uh, Josh, who's four years younger than me and Daniel six years younger and Daniel's obviously went off into the, the AFL. Um, but yeah, I also had uh, cousins on dad's side of the family play. Uh, we've got a couple of cousins that played for Kiwa, which is another local club to the South. Um, Ryan uh, actually played for Aubrey for a few years um, and played in one of the premiership teams um, that we had recently. Um, but yeah, so well, that was on dad's side and then um, mum's side of the family. I had a, a cousin who played for Melbourne in the VFL, um, was actually their captain when they won the seconds. This is when the VFL 
was the VFL mm-hmm. and the VFL would have their seconds. Um, he was the captain of the seconds when they won the premiership in 88 or 89. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't recall. But Greg Hutchison's currently the, um, I think he's the football operations manager um, with St Kilda. And as I think you alluded to before, Daniel is still currently working in the AFL. Um, played for the Western Bulldogs. Um, was drafted in the early 2000s. Won a best and fairest uh, for the Bulldogs in 2007. Um, and then uh, after the Bulldogs played for Melbourne, played 249 games, so just shy of that 250. Um, but then after Melbourne, he was doing, he was working as a, um, a trainer, uh, as uh, with a rehabilitation, um, but was also doing the running for them. Um, the runners, <clears throat> I think, is most most of your listeners would be aware of is the person who communicates mm-hmm. to the players from the coaches to the players directly on the ground. And um, <clears throat> you could, I could see it during the games when he was out there running. The idea, and they put stipulations on this, is that a runner is supposed to go directly to the player, deliver the message, and then come off the ground. Uh-huh. <laughs> be watching games. And Daniel would go out, deliver the message, and make his way back to the sideline. <laughs> and as his way, making his way slowly back to the sideline, just sort of giving a little bit of directions uh, as he's on his way back to players and doing and a little, like doing that. a little more extra coaching on the way back. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So is he is he the reason why the rules were changed? No. Um, <laughs> Because he wasn't the only one. Okay, okay. Uh, I, and, and, yeah, it's hard not to. I'm, I remember oh, even doing it like um, like uh, my stepbrother was playing um, and my dad was coaching. I'd come down and help out and do the running for them. Um, I did the running for the thirds one year at Aubrey, and it's really hard not to do it. Mm-hmm. You go out there, you deliver the message, but as you're coming off the ground, you see so much happening around you. You can see, I mean, just you can read the play, right, right. And you've got yeah, you've got young players out there, so you're like, no, come this way. It's gonna gonna go over there, or see that. That's gonna move that way. Really hard not to do. And so you can imagine at the AFL level where most of the runners are ex AFL players, it's just too hard not to. Yeah. Well, and, have and some you input. and you mentioned off air. You know that, that you're. Um, you didn't mention. You didn't use this term. I'm going to use this term that uh, that your 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 cousin is a bit of a physical freak, in terms yes. of his 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 ability as a runner. And you you know you 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 talked about his uh, his level of body fat. So it almost seems like he would be a natural to be a club's runner. That seems like oh, that absolutely. would be a great position for him. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's positioned down at Melbourne. Uh, sorry, North Melbourne currently. Uh, yeah, on the training side of it, I mean, yeah, you've, you've got to be able to be prepared to run. Mm-hmm. Hence, hence they call it a runner. But yeah, um, he he was always going to be involved with the game um, and keep himself involved with the game. I don't think he ever had any desire to go into the coaching side of it. Um, but um, yeah, still wanted to use his knowledge base. Um, he's a quieter individual. He likes sort of being that more behind the scenes rather than up front and just the scrutiny. And, you know, you'd see it in the States with the professional sports there, the scrutiny that coaches go under. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
who'd, who'd want that? Well, and you think about it though, with with his position, with the the ruse now, in many ways, you know, while it may not be what they're calling a coaching position, you know, if he's the person that's helping to, you know, help these these, and that's a that's a young club, that's a very young side, um, mm-hmm. to become as physically fit to to gain the endurance that they need in many ways he has that skill set because you were talking about mm. a, you know, you were talking about how he would run the hills at your grandmother's house and such that, uh, you know, he's got the ability to do that sort of thing. He can pass along. So in many ways that's, that is almost a, an unofficial coaching position in terms of coaching the running aspect of it. It's actually interesting that you talk about that because when Daniel finished playing at Melbourne, um, he was actually sought after by a couple of clubs as a position, as a trainer simply because of his work ethic. A lot of clubs, I know that um, one of the clubs that was interested in him was Collingwood mm-hmm. because Nathan Nathan Buckley wanted to get that um, work ethic. You know, like they see an ex-AFL, like a, a, someone with Daniel success playing 249 games, you know, what it takes to sort of stay at a high level for that long sort of helps change the culture, um, not entirely, but it's sort of it's a part of that. You get someone in who has his work ethic to look after his body, to to bring that professionalism, and I'll, it's an interesting point to that. Bring that professionalism um, in your own life to football. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Paul Ruse was at Melbourne, and Paul Ruse was really very keen to keep. Oh, actually, know that. That's why no, that wasn't after his playing days at Melbourne. That was after the Western Bulldogs. Um, Collingwood were very interested in him. Melbourne, Paul Ruse was the one who ended up getting him to, to Melbourne in the end. Um, <clears throat> I remember when Daniel, sorry, I just got to clear my throat there for a sec. Daniel had an injury and Although they have these, they're called hyperbaric chambers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're um, small isolated chambers that are filled with oxygen in order to help the recovery process. Daniel went and, and he'd used the one at the football club, um, go down there all the time and use it. But he also bought one that he could use at home. Wow. Um, probably, yeah, it wasn't cheap either. Um, <laughs> and I laugh because he would have it, I think it was for his ankle, for his leg, and would have it in bed with him at night. And the unfortunate um, circumstance of this was that it kicked his poor wife, Sam, out to the couch. <laughs> <laughs> now, he... Oh, oh yeah, she... Uh, you, better, you, better, you better check with him before I put this episode out to see whether I can edit that out. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's actually something that's um, that joked about frequently. And, okay, and Sam, okay. Sam's fantastic. She, she, yeah, she took it with a grain of salt. She'll well, give him a dirty eye about it. But, um, yeah, Sam had to – I'm not sure if it was on the couch or they had a, I think they had a spare room. Okay. sleeping in the bed there. But, yeah, Dan sort of – um yeah he bought that home um, in, in order and that was the professionalism and, and the passion that dan had is that he would go out of his way to buy mm-hmm. uh, this hyperbaric chamber 
simply for the purposes of getting back into the game sooner. And whilst he would use the one that the club had, that wasn't enough for him. Right. He'd ha- he'd have to try and use his own at home as well. well. And and here's hoping that he bought a very quality mattress for his spare bedroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think you'd have to ask Sam about that, but uh, yeah, like, yeah. So, so you know, you you were you know one of the things you mentioned uh, online here because we've gone through you know much of the stuff that I had well, a couple of things I wanted to get to. You know, one, you know, I know you've got the Auskick program that's going with the Tigers based upon your website as well. Now, do, do you have both boys and girls playing at that level then and yeah um i think when when they start getting a little bit older is when they um start to separate them a little bit um, Mm -hmm. especially when they get into the the juniors Uh, so auskick is is 12 years and under Mm -hmm. um i i know i had uh one of my girls was uh interested in getting involved with it um she, she lost interest since then but um my girls are only 12 and nine at the moment. Um, but yeah, they, they have Auskick down there and they encourage all the kids to get involved. Um, it's an absolute free for all. Um, but I think the main idea of the concept is just to get them involved, get them right, doing right. something. Um, they, they see that sort of, um, the, they have that affiliation because everyone's involved with it um, from the community. You'd go down there and there'd be like, there'd be 10 games going on. Mm-hmm. Like a like a whole um, yeah field full of kids um, kicking around the football. So have you seen the uh, the growth of the girls' game and you know with since the AFLW's inception? Is is the girls have mm. you seen more and more girls getting? Uh, your your daughter said she's lost interest, but overall, have you seen more girls? Oh no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gaining interest um, in the game. It was it was when it first started. Um, <laughs> You'd have a lot of people deride it, you know. Oh man, their skills aren't that great, or it's like, calm down. They've just gotten into this, mm-hmm. and as we've seen over the last five years, at least, the, the girls have been incentivized to play just because they can see it. Um, they see it's out there. It's something for them to do, and a lot of them have an interest in it, and their skills have gotten much better. Right. They're, yeah. They're, they're, you've now got girls who have been sort of at least trying to get involved with it at a younger age. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's there. It's coming along. Um, the, the skills are developing at, at the, the junior level for females, that it's having that flow on effect into the AFLW. Um, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe Aubrey is, um, is developing a team this year um, to have a, a girls team. Um, down at the, at the football club, uh, to which I think um, Jeffy is, uh, Jeff Garlett is going to um, to coach. Okay, that's and I and I think you know because you've got uh, you know, he'll the, probably the, kill me for saying that because now he has to do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's uh, you know that's uh, let's let let let's hope my podcast has has that kind of impact on people. That, that's that's, yeah, a, well, that's a dream. Yes. It could could go either way because I think at one stage I did put my hand up and say, "Look, I'll help you out there, Jeff. She needs some help." There you go. So it'll backfire if it is. Well, you you you've now you've now locked yep. yourself into that as well. Then so it's you know you've got the last four sides. You know you've got Port Adelaide, Sydney, and Hawthorne, and I'm drawing a blank on the fourth one, Essendon. Uh, the fourth one they're going to be coming in next year. Um, so you're going to have another hundred and roughly 140 players coming into the yeah. comp. You know, so so yeah, 
so they're going to have you know those players are going to have to come from somewhere you know so it's you know, and i know there's you know there and, and, and I, you know we're we're recording this kind of midweek after round two of the aflw comp and uh you know i've i've watched all 13 games so far this this year i've not have you know i if footy's on i'm watching you know it's <laughs> I'm, I'm watching because you know i've i've uh I'm I'm a huge I, I'm sorry I'm sorry I was a huge baseball fan, but yeah. I've not I've not watched an inning of baseball in two years. I've I've completely pushed baseball. I think baseball is, and I did talk about this in a previous episode. I think it's ruining itself. I think the major uh, major league okay. baseball here in the states is destroying itself from the inside, and I and it really it really saddens me. But uh, yeah, you know, that's I, a shame. Yeah, I mean this. I I love I love this game, and I you know and I. I talked about an episode that came out the other day about how I think that the the fourth quarter of the Eagles and Suns game this past weekend might be the most exciting quarter of football at any level that I've watched in the six years that I've been watching the game. Mm-hmm. It was it was just an amazing quarter uh, between you know two sides that you know are, are you know you know arguably two of the lesser clubs in the AFLW right at this point in time, and it was just it was exciting as all get out. I didn't. I didn't catch that game. Oh, if you, get a, um, if you get a chance to see the fourth quarter, I highly recommend it. YouTube's a good friend for that. Yes, there you go. But yeah, so <laughs> so you know the, the girls' game is growing, and are there? You know, you said you, that that your club is getting ready to to start a girls. Now, at what age level is that? Is that club that you're talking about? I'm not sure. Actually, um, they'd have to make sure they're uh, competitive, and you don't want. Um, kids coming in at too small but mm-hmm. yeah no i'm not sure about the, okay. the um that, that's an interesting question actually um because it poses whether they should have more than one side mm-hmm. uh, to allow for that sort of junior level um yeah yeah no interesting question well, and, and, and it makes sense because you know if and you know if the women's comp is going to grow and it's and, and it's going to, and, and as, as you talked about, you know, there are some people who haven't quite bought into the game in terms of watching it um, mm. at, at the women's level, because, you know, there's not enough scoring, the skill levels, whatever the case may be, you know, within the next decade or so, you know, th- th- this is, this is going to be a comp that's going to be somewhat similar to on par with the men's comp, you, you know, maybe, maybe they become the full-time players, you know, where, where that's their full-time career. I mean, I think that's the goal. Of, mm. the a- of the AFL to have that happen, you know, but it's, you know, but then you're, maybe I think, you're, maybe you're going to see, I think that would be a lot. I think that would be a long way off getting it to the same level as uh, having the notoriety as mm-hmm. the, the, as the, as the men's competition. Um, but that does not mean I don't, I don't disagree with you. Uh, absolutely. It's going to keep growing um, and get better for them. Um, I, I think it'd be a situation where I, Full full professionalism um, of the AFLW is um, is probably a couple of decades off, but okay. it's you, you've still got to have that as your goal. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to work towards that, and um, and that's not saying I could be wrong about that either. It completely could be wrong about that. It could come, it could happen sooner, um, but um, it's more about sort of they've got the infrastructure in place um the facilities are there you've just got to get the community to go along with it as well and have the community itself grow um of a supporter base to to get a um supporter base up 
and happening regularly. Um, I think the way they do it um, at the moment, the situation where the season is, mm-hmm. um, I think is um, is good. I, it'll be, I think it'll be a mistake to have it run alongside um, within the same season as the men's competition. Um, it's just that um, you just have an oversaturation, I think. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch the female gra- uh, game grow because it, it can only get stronger. Yeah, um, and right. it's yeah, it's going and to be it, great to see. And as you were talking about, you know, you the, this this year's competition was supposed to start in December, but it got pushed back several weeks. You know, so you know, once the other clubs come in, the other four clubs come in. You know, do they get to the point then where they have? Um, you know, a longer season? Do they start it in December and, and add another four or six rounds to it to where, where you play everybody once? You know, yeah, that, that's I think, that, I think that would be ideal if they could do that. It would be, except you're going through the Australian summer. Right. Well, really that's, that's what I was going to get to is that, you know, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got somebody that I talked to in, in quite a bit in Perth, who's a Tiger, who's a Richmond supporter. Um, you know, they were talking about, you know, the, the temperatures out there being, you know, 37 38 celsius which yes yeah that's, you can't, that's that's yeah. tough to play you know, you know and it's a that's the thing well like i mean they want to see if, if they're going to extend the season they do sort of have to extend it perhaps into later in the year into the men's season um and it's a challenge that they'll come that they'll they'll face and come up with a solution and what, whatever happens it's right. not gonna it's not gonna stymie the game yeah i mean i i I, I enjoy the heck out of it. It's it's a, it's an awful lot of fun to to uh, to watch, and and the skill set is improving, you know, mm. year on year. But I think even you know round on round, you know, clubs are getting better, and you know, individual players are getting better. I mean, I there's, yeah, there's players out there that I that yeah, I I, I joked that you know Kiara Bowers of the the Dockers. I think she could she could play right alongside Nat Fife. In, in the men's side, she, I think she's that quality of player. You know, I think the next the next big the next big step or the next uh, step of the assimilation is getting female coaches. Is having the the main coaches for each of the teams, um, and, and getting the the female involvement on that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, increasing that as well, which only you know that's only going to help the game as well. Okay, so you. You played with the Tigers, you know, in the juniors, as you, I think you, you mentioned uh, growing up, but then you, once you left school, you did something that not a lot of other people have done. Now it's something that you and I have both done, but you, uh, you left Australia and came to the United States as an exchange student. Can you tell, yeah. us, tell well, us a little <laughs> bit about that experience? So where were you? You were in Texas, but where in Texas were you? Well, I, I left halfway through, I was, I left halfway through year 11 over here. Okay. And I did, I did my junior year uh, in Texas. And then when I came back to Australia, I came in with the next year 11s. So I hadn't quite finished school, but very nearly, but yeah, I wanted to go to Texas. Well, not specifically Texas. I was lucky. I went to Texas because I wanted to, I wanted to try out American football. Uh, I wanted to give it a bit of a go. And mm-hmm. so the fact that I landed in Texas was fortuitous because, um, yeah, it was a heartland. Oh, things like pep rallies just completely blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Te- like we, te- we, we, Texas we high school football is Texas high school football is, uh, 
I mean, there are there are stadiums in te- Texas mm. football today. That, you know that that schools have spent forty, fifty million dollars to build that seat thirty thousand people. Yeah, you know, at a high school game. That is, it's just yeah, it's, it's amazing. just amazing that, that that some of these places and, and they fill them. It was it was also really interesting to go from um, that paradigm of where a lot of the sport is in the U S is based around the schools. Whereas in Australia, very like school sport is, uh, is infantile compared to what we do at the clubs. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all club level. You play your juniors at the club, everything like that. So to go over to the States and go to Texas and you have these things called pep rallies and they have such a, a big focus on it. Um, you know, the, the school has coaches who also teach mm-hmm. um, and just the, the facilities at the school themselves was amazing. Um, yeah, when I went over there, um, I, they, they quickly gave me the nickname and don't ask me to explain why, but I got the nickname Alligator Andy. I think that's a, an affiliation to Crocodile Dundee, but it just <laughs> rolled off. It rolled off the tongue for them, and I was just, I'm, I'm an Aussie. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Where do, <laughs> if you where, want to call, where did the Andy oh, come from? I it alligator A okay. and A. It just oh. <laughs> uh, Coach Hovder gave me that one, and it just stuck. Um, oh, come on, can I can I stop here? I, I think I think Crocodile would have been a much better one. <laughs> <laughs> Better, it's better. It was a better nickname than when I went to university back here in Australia, and we're kicking the football around at training. And so, so what's your nickname? And, and if you've got the last name Cross, your nickname is obviously Crossy. It's always going to be Crossy. Uh-huh. Um, they misheard it and call, started calling me Crusty, and I'm like, oh no, I don't want that. Back to the, the Simpsons girl, again. <laughs> the girl, no, no, this is the girls are not going to appreciate when someone's calling you your nickname Crusty. Why have you got that nickname? Why's your name? Uh, no. Anyway, um, so Alligator Andy, and obviously um, my role in the team uh, was to be the punter. Mm-hmm. Um, I They used to have me um, flying off the end um, defensively as a defensive end, even though I do not fit the prototype at all, but just simply because I was fast. Um, I'm 5'8". Uh, when I was 16, I was 150 pounds ringing wet. <laughs> So to see that little guy flying off the corner was just odd for them, I think. But um, yeah, no, it was, it, it was, I call it my groundhog year mm-hmm. because it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Um, I was in a unique situation that I was 16 turning 17 and my host parents were 26 and 27. Holy so they were quite mackerel. young themselves. Wow. Yeah. He, Chris, much loved to Chris and Carrie. Um Chris was a lieutenant in the Navy. He was a public affairs officer for the Admiral at the base. So we're down in Corpus Christi. Okay. Okay. So we lived on the Corpus Christi uh, Naval Air Base. And Carrie was a second grade teacher um, at the elementary school. Um, Flower Bluff was the school I was at. And it was interesting because playing punter, we didn't have the best deep snap the guy who's, who's snapping the ball to us so uh quite often the, the very no oh, yeah the very first game it did actually i remember the first game the ball came out and it it, it bounced to me on the hop uh-huh. and so i've sort of like gone down t- 
typical Aussie rule style and just pick the ball up in front of me. But I could see one of the guys coming off the edge, running straight towards me. Mm -hmm. So 5'8", 150 pounds, real wet, but very fast. Yeah. So I just sidestepped him. And then my natural instinct was to keep running. Now, I've got no left foot. So I was not going to kick on my left. <laughs> and, you were so, going to, and you were going to your left. And I was going to the left. So okay. I've been running towards the sideline. And what we call, um, usually if you curve a ball to the left, it's referred to a banana. Mm-hmm. But if you kick it on your right and curve it to the right, it's called, referred to as a check side. So I've check sided this ball about 30 metres downfield whilst on the run. Mm-hmm. And then it's proceeded to bounce another 20 or so. And that was the first in, I got the game ball in that game for that. Um, but after then, most of the experiences were the ball going back over my head or over <laughs> my shoulder. Now, once again, in, and you would have seen this actually quite recently, perhaps with Michael Dixon. <clears throat> so the ball's gone flying back over my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back there and jump and just lie on the football. The ball's perfectly there on the ground. I can pick that up. So go running back. The ball's on the ground. Scoop it up with one hand. Turn around. Start running back towards the line of scrimmage. And sorry, I'm going to clear my throat again. Um, Yeah. So be running back towards the line of scrimmage at pace and kicking the ball whilst running at full pace. And that just completely blew their minds Mm -hmm. they couldn't understand how someone could be running at speed and still kick a ball 40 50 meters downfield right right Um, so i had a ball of a time because i was not only an australian but as an australian on the football team football team in texas yeah they absolutely loved these these things that i was doing with the football um and yes i had an absolutely i loved it was, was fantastic now do you, fact, do you no, still keep do you still keep in touch with the the husband and wife that you were with carrie famously said to me before we left that it was going to be difficult because um they um she's not really great and sort of doing that however and i didn't have a lot of uh so came back to australia and then a year later they paid for me to come back over and visit them okay. by that stage He'd gotten a promotion and they were working, uh, they were up in Raleigh. Um, I mean, they were in Virginia, Virginia. North Because he was working, I believe, yeah. Yeah, yes, well, that, that's my, my, my son is a lieutenant in the Navy and that's where he's stationed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he was, Chris, Chris was working out of the Pentagon. Okay, so he was up near DC then, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. Okay. Um, and we went to, actually, when I came over to visit, um, I remember going to, um, is it the mall? The Mall of America? In D.C.? Or the, no, the, in the DC, National uh, Mall. The National Mall. Where the, the, National Sm- mall. the Smithsonian Institute and all that sort of thing? That's it. That's the one. Mm-hmm. I had the fire. We went there for the 4th of July. It was okay. absolutely fantastic. I love wow. it. Wow. Um, but then sort of communication dropped off for a few years. And then several years ago, um, I found Chris somehow. Um, and, yeah, we were able to make contact again. And, and it was yeah wonderful, um, and and thankfully thanks to Facebook, I'm actually still in touch to this day uh, with a lot of guys that um, I went to school with there in Flower Bluff. 
That's terrific. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I didn't, I was, as I had mentioned to you off air, I was in Brazil, I was in Brazil, uh, despite having taken three years of German, I, I joked that, you know, I, I went there in 1981. So it's a little before you went, <laughs> um, you know, so there, there were, I'm fairly confident there were still, you know, you know, Nazis in hiding throughout <laughs> Brazil. So I'm assuming they were sending me there to go find them and talk to them or something. Cause I knew, I knew absolutely no Portuguese. The, the, the reason they, they settled on, uh, on, on this family was because that, you know, that both of the kids spoke English and the daughter was studying German in college. That was the connection that they made there. But the father, oh, okay. yeah, the father, and I've lost, I haven't, I haven't been in touch with them for a long time. I've tried finding them on social media, but again, I don't speak the language. Mm. Uh, so I've struggled. My, my neighbor actually has a son-in-law who is from Brazil. So I need to sit down with him and have him help me out with it. But the, yeah, the father, the host father had emigrated from Italy after World War II, had moved to Brazil as a teenager after the war. And, oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. So, and he, and he, he was a spitting image of Saddam Hussein. They could have been twins. <laughs> they could have been twins. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I, I certainly enjoyed my time. My parents hosted a couple of students while I was in the military. Um, you know, so it's, you know, we've got a long history of that. So I, the fact that you got to do that is, is pretty cool. And is that something, Ooh. is that something that down the road you would consider encouraging your own kids to think about doing? Oh, if they wanted to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, like I said, it was my groundhog year. Um, and I think it's a, a fantastic opportunity to see how other people live. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was lucky because um, whilst we do have small social differences, there's so much we have in common, Australians mm -hmm. and you know, people from in the US as well. Um, but especially Texans, it's, it's odd. I got along with them famously. Oh, yes. I, I yeah. <laughs> Please, if you eat Vegemite, you must use butter. I do. You must use butter. I do. <laughs> yes. People make that that mistake. No, you not even we have Vegemite on its own. Yeah. Oh, and I, well, I, I, uh, and I, my, my, my spread is pretty thick actually. So, <laughs> and I, I actually, I, I made mention, I just, I actually just bought a case of it. 12 jars about yeah i've gone through seven jars since june oh okay yeah yeah and i just bought i just bought a a case of them because it was actually about two and a half dollars a jar cheaper to buy 12 than buying them three at a time and i told my wife i said i'm gonna be eating them so i might as well get them at this reduced price and, so, and it's very hard to go off yeah yeah and i well I, <laughs> and i I did find a place that actually sells it in a two and a half kilo tub. And I, I would love to, I would love to just have one of those empty tubs just for the sake of saying, I, have one of those, I would love to have one of those tubs just to say, yeah, I went through that. But um, so, you know, to kind of, to kind of wrap some things up here, you know, you, you know, getting back to, to footy a little bit, you know, and we mm -hmm. talked about the, the interchange a little bit here, but, if you had the opportunity, if, if Gil McLaughlin got on the phone with you and uh, and said, hey, you know, Simon, we're going to give you the opportunity to make one rule change to the AFL, what would that be? Well, it's not so much a rule change. However, it's something that I saw recently, I think earlier this week, <clears throat> an article referring to how apparently they're going to try and crack down 
on the holding the man rule, which uh, they were really tight on it previous, like the for several years they've been fairly tight on it. Mm-hmm. However, in the grand final and in oh, it escapes me now. I can't remember. In the finals, Melbourne played Geelong. I don't want to talk and... about that. <laughs> what, was that was that as I forgot you were a Geelong fan. I... <laughs> was that was that the preliminary final? Uh it was the first yeah, it was the prelims, yeah, because they, Prelim. yeah, they right. yeah. Now in that game, they see Geelong play a very stop start type of game. They love possession of the football, they love keeping control of the football. Whereas Melbourne are an att- like an attacking team. Mm-hmm. They have their defense structured so that they can intercept the ball, get control, but then just push the ball forward, push it forward at all costs. And in that game, what really stymied, and I don't think Geelong were ready for it because I don't think Melbourne were ready for it, but it definitely worked in Melbourne's benefit, is that the umpires allowed the game to go. They weren't pulling up little jumper pulls mm-hmm. they were allowing the time the play they were allowing players more time to dispose of the ball even if someone had a hold of their jumper right so what that and i like i really liked that because i thought it not only because it allowed melbourne to beat geelong because geelong loved that stop start game but it, it was a good spectacle it allowed the game to flow more more things happened. You know, you've got that pressure always continuing to happen. And that happened in the grand final as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't have as a big impact on the Western Bulldogs as it did Geelong. But if I had to say, I'd say don't, don't change this rule. Right, whatever, right. Whatever, you, whatever the umpires have been instructed to do, let that go. Mm-hmm. Because that, that brings, that's how football was played in the 90s, the 80s, in the 70s, way back. Like, if you want to tackle, like, if a player is caught with the ball, he has to be caught with the ball. Like, you have to put an, a wrap-up, arms tackle. Mm-hmm. None of this sort of jumper pull, oh, I've got a hold of it. No, I really want to see it. And also, like, you can tackle a player, but if they break out of that tackle, let the play continue. Right. Previously, they would definitely call that up. And yeah, there's it's going to like if you do that, it's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of conjecture about it. But like, you know, oh that was caught with the ball. Oh, how could you let that go? But <laughs> that's what we do as fans. Right. You know, we're we're passionate we're passionate about it and we want to sort of always have our input. And if it's not fair and we don't see it our way, we'll let people know. And and but, this game and this game is much more this game is much more free flowing than just about any other game on the planet. Mm. Yeah, so that's if you have a lot of people <clears throat> talk about Aussie rules, I'll talk about how the game was at its zenith in the 80s and to the extent the 90s. You know, when you'd see teams kick 20, 25 goals, mm-hmm. it, it's not as if the defense wasn't doing anything, the defenders were still playing their game quite well, but a free, open flowing game where you could see 40 to 50 goals kicked. Was a was a much better spectacle than say what we had five years ago when teams were fifteen goals between two teams at the end right, of the game. Right. Like it's it was good competitive football still, but just that free flowing aspect to it, and all it was was just allowing 
players to play the ball mm-hmm. and play football a little bit more. Um, it did sort of, you know, the umpires have to put the whistle away a little bit more, but you'll quite often find uh, a lot of pundits will say, if the umpires can put the whistle away, um, it, it makes for a better game. Some umpires just love being involved too much. Yeah, maybe they so got if I Go ahead. I was just going to say, so if there, was a, if there was a rule change I'd implement, it's just let that one let him play. play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that maybe they, uh, maybe some of the umpires have worked into their contract that they get paid by the number of times they, they blow their whistle. <laughs> I, I, I certainly can believe that. There is credence to it if you watch some games. Yeah. So um, one last thing before, before we wrap up here, you mentioned uh, when you were younger, and this is a YouTube video that I'm going to try to find here. Cause I, and if you, if you happen to see it, I'd love it if you could send me a link to it. Uh, if you happen to know where it is, you know, you mentioned oh, you, that you'll, you, you mentioned no, you'll you, find, you'll find okay. it in five seconds. Okay. I, met- I remember having this conversation with, <clears throat> we had a function just recently and there's a couple of guys at the bar and I was mentioning it and they, they looked it up. First thing okay. I found. So you mentioned that you uh, witnessed one of the biggest or longest mm. sporting brawls in, in history. Take, take us through that because you saw it in person. Well, <clears throat> it's funny. I was, I was young at the time, but um, I actually remembered more about it watching the clip on YouTube. Oh yeah, that happened. Oh, that's right. So it was um, the late, very late eighties or early nineties. I don't quite recall, but there was a great, the grand final was at the Aubrey football ground. And it was between Wodonga and Lavington. And Wodonga and Lavington had had a heated history all year. Um, I, I think there was um, a bit of underdo in one of the games earlier in the year. But as typically happens, uh, the two teams run out and they'll run their warm-up uh, laps and then get into a few exercises before the game starts. And these two, you could feel the tension. It was palpable. Before they even came out of the ground, every man and his dog at the ground knew that something was going to happen and it was going to be big. The, the team, the players themselves had already talked about it in the media. They, they knew that something was going to happen. So it was a powder keg. And these two teams had come out and I was in the old, um, the old grandstand that we have at the Auburn football ground um, which provides a, a great view of the ground. And these two teams were warming up. They were eyeing each other off. You, you could taste how much they wanted to get into each other. Mm-hmm. And so the touring cost has happened and both teams have gone into their huddles and they've broken from their huddles and they've gone out into positions. And it, they didn't even, they didn't even, like get their foothold ready. As soon as every other player met, it was just straight into each other. Yeah. Like there was a a bit of shouldering, a bit of niggle, and the shoulders very quickly turned into fists and then the fist, and then it's just young and old. And it didn't stop for at least, I I don't recall, but I've got to say at least 20 minutes. Wow. And, And then... Oh, they had to get the police out there. And once they finally, I think the police were out there anyway. Um, when it finally 
settled down, it was still like in the game. They were just at each other the whole time. Um, it was, yeah, it was definitely one of the most infamous um, <laughs> uh, incidents in um, O and M folklore, if not um, Aussie rules folklore. Okay. Uh, the bloodbath. Um, yeah, I think it was referred to. I'll see if I can find that, and uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but that just that just sounds like a because you, know, you see that you know at the outset of pretty much every game, there's always the, you know the bumping that's going on and the shouldering that's happening. But this sounds like this was on on steroids many times over. Oh, it was, and they yeah, um, and the whole game, and you do like sometimes when you actually I just did it then. Um, I want to, if you put O and M, like the little and symbol, O and M bloodbath, the very first one that comes up, the 1990 O and M grand final, part one, part one goes for half an hour. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, it's got a couple other things there, but yeah, it, it's, um, and I mean, that, like I was saying earlier as well, I, I've now been involved with the, the Masters football, mm-hmm. the over 35s that we have here. Um, most of the guys that are playing are over 40. We play every fortnight because we need that much time to recover. <laughs> the first thing we do is we go out there, you shake the other guy's hand, and you say, have a good game, mate. Yes, Let's yes. Just we both walk off in one piece. There you go. And, and, I, and, on. and I would imagine at that point in time, you're, you're – you're you're mainly out there for the you're not oh, trying no. to necessarily relive glory no. you're out there for the health no. benefits of it you're getting you're getting some exercise doing something that you've loved doing your whole life and more and more to the point um the mental health as well i mean okay, it's yeah. sort of like getting around i remember i got involved um because well, four or five years ago i was working in an office with two other older ladies mm-hmm. i've got my girls at home i really didn't have another social outlet so i went down to training got the ball in my hands the, the skill you just like the skills are still there you know you enjoy training right you know, once right. Your, your legs get going around you're like oh yeah no this is the bit where i'm going to struggle um you know the legs you, you, your mind says you can do things but your legs say no you can't especially the hamstrings um but yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was it was good getting involved again the mental health and the health aspects of it um we don't keep well we keep score but there's no competition points. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not playing for grand finals or right, trophies. Right. We're just playing to get out there and yeah. have some fun. That and, makes sense. Um, and that, that's the great part of it too. That may, that makes um, complete sense. And that's mm-hmm. and that's hap- you know that that those masters leagues those those are happening in a lot of different places around the country because you've got you have you know a huge number of people who played this game oh. for long periods of time that that are you know that utilize this as a as an outlet, you know, to not, not, not necessarily to relive their glory, but to do, to, like I said before, to do something that they love to do and, uh, and want to keep doing it. There, there is one stipulation to that. Um, whilst the, the masters are played in, in great camaraderie and, mm-hmm. and played with um, uh, great companionship, you got to watch out for those boys down in Melbourne. They play for grand finals. Okay. And they play for competition okay. points. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, look, country football, it's like that in, in a lot of the other country areas. It's like that. Oh, man. Oh, man. Because the, the Masters down in Melbourne, 
you got some ex-AFL players, ex-VFL players running around there. Right, right. And all they're playing for chips down there. Well, and, 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 and in many and, cases... And yeah, they have the ability to as well. Like, I mean, and, they're and, still quite fit and strong. And, right, right. And in but, many um, cases, there there may be a grudge that still is underlying from... Do you, <laughs> do you remember that time in 1992 that you did this to me? Well, this elbow <laughs> this elbow was because of that or whatever this the case may be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, 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 like, I mean, we train, we train once a week mm-hmm. and, you know, you get probably about a dozen guys there. The, the guys down in Melbourne, they're training twice or three times a week. They're taking it quite seriously. And that's okay. That's that's for them. Um, but we just don't play against them for obvious reasons well, because we don't want to go out and get beaten by 20 goals every single time. And and it make it makes sense maybe that 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 it would be more competitive there because and I and I'm speculating here, but it, it, it kind of makes sense that you know you've had players who have played this game at the highest level for as long as they mm. did that once they left the game, many of them stayed in Melbourne for job opportunities and that sort of thing because you know it's it, being a major metropolitan city as opposed to playing you know in a in a country well, they, town well they just want to stay involved with the game and like right, i said right. it's not it's that even if these guys that are playing even if they played at the vfl level mm-hmm. the, the vfl that's in melbourne mm-hmm. or the vfa level that's still they're really strong competitions right right um so I mean, a lot of the guys that um, that are in our masters team aren't. Look, there's a couple ex O and M players. There's a few that played in the human Talangata leagues, but mostly they're guys that just enjoyed football and are looking to enjoy football at this stage of their life, and they're doing it for the fun of it. And right. then that's why the, that's why there's that separation between metro and country. Well, it's 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 in some ways, and it's it's kind of like a. Uh it's kind of like a, you know, a, a golf league or, you know, for, for guys who are maybe a little bit more physically fit than, than the guys in the golf team that are yeah. riding the carts around the, the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. That makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. And cool. then that's, then that's good for them too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 you know, it's, this has been a, a, a fun discussion here. I've, uh, I've, I've learned a lot about footy at the, at the local level you know, from you today and, and, you know, learning about how the relationships between the clubs and the different communities, especially in your unique situation, um, you know, being right there on the border, having to work both sides of the river there, um, you know, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a unique situation that you happen to be in. So I'm thrilled that we were able to sit down and do this and that I was actually able to find you online. Uh, Thank you for doing so. Yeah. Thank you for doing so because this has been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I love sort of being able to talk about um, the, the experiences that we've had here, um, not only personally, but like, you know, from the, the club's perspective as mm-hmm. well. Okay. And um, I love watching, and I'll watch it sometimes, um, some of the games that are on YouTube from the, mm-hmm. the, the games that are in the States. Um, I had a friend that I... Um, post university i was living in sydney for a little while i was playing for a team up there and um eventually he went and i think he really helped develop the sacramento team uh, okay. Matt bishop okay matt bishop um used to give me a lift home from training when we we're up in sydney great absolutely fantastic guy um 
but I think he's having something to do with um, AFL Queensland, and I'm not sure where he is at the moment. Okay, he's still in Queensland, but yeah, um, I, I, I liked seeing the way that <clears throat> he had a passion for the game, and they were living over in the states at the time, mm-hmm. up around Sacramento. He helped develop that team, um, and just seeing how teams are popping up all over the place and how they're, they're new to this game and, and seeing them involved. Right, right. And then they're just saying, hey, this is a game that you may not have much of an idea how to play, but it's inclusive. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, you get yeah. people involved because everyone else doesn't have an idea either. And so, yeah, and that's a great opportunity for a lot of um, expat, like expats from, from here, from Australia, <laughs> to get involved and, and love growing the game and seeing it grow over there yeah. and and at the end of the day it's all about having a just a kick of the footy yep as we absolutely. like to say absolutely i have uh well i need to put air in them but i've got a couple of them mm. over here on a shelf right next to my desk here uh, that was that was one thing i did miss um when i was in the states was that oh that smell of red leather <laughs> oh it's addictive yeah Oh, the smell of fresh red leather, Sharon. Oh, yeah, yeah nothing like it. Yeah, well, I, I have to admit, mine's a burly. Sorry. Uh, oh, that's, that's all right. That's all right. It's I, still got the red leather. Yes, yes. Well, actually, yeah, mine, actually mine's yellow. Yellow. Yes. <laughs> mine's a yellow. All right, one. the smell yeah. of leather. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. ladies and gents, my, my guest for this episode has been Simon Cross of the Albury Tigers organization. Simon. Thanks so much for spending time on your Friday morning with me. I appreciate it, sir. And thank you, Craig, for reaching out and finding me because, yeah, this has been um, it's fantastic to, to be involved with. You bet. This, this was a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot from you, and it's, uh, it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be kind of a, a jumping off point for me to, you know, to kind of take a look a little bit more closely at the local clubs because what I – except sometimes I forget to do it. But one of the things I started doing about six or eight months ago is that at the beginning of every episode, I give a shout out to a local club. And, 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 and to be completely honest, this is, this is kind of like a cheap advertising thing that I'm doing. I have to be completely honest. Cause I, when I do that, I'll then send a, a note to the club through their website. Hey, I gave your club a shout out, you know, in this episode, here's a link to it in case you would want to listen. So I'm hoping, I'm, yeah, because again, well, I'm, I'm hoping it leads to different avenues where somebody might reach out or there's a connection here or there. Because, you know, I, I'm doing this. Well, we do. Know. I mean, as, as a club that it's been around for so long, mm-hmm. um, we've got a lot of older members and they do like to see, you know, if the, the club gets mentioned somewhere and pops up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, if I have a quick look now, I can direct you to, um, there was, a couple of local guys um, uh, did some podcasts about some of the local football, which I'm, I think you might find interesting to okay. listen to. Um, I, I might have to email you the um, okay that later, but um, yeah, uh, there was um, one where they did actually. He's done one reflectively of. Uh, one of the Tigers grand finals and, and okay. had a lot of the ex players on there speaking, my, my dad and my uncle included um, and, and from other clubs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that local um, perspective, I think you'll find quite interesting. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be very cool. Yeah. There's, there's, but, one, um, there, there's, no, one, there's one that I'm, I'm, I really enjoy. Cause it, it's, 
and I'm waiting till they get, you know, I've, I've gone back and I've listened to different episodes. It's the one called kick to kick podcast. And they have gone back and they're coming up on their 100th episode, but they, they've gone back to basically the start of footy and they, they devote, you know, they did one episode that basically, you know, went from kind of when the clubs were founded back in the 1850s to 1900 but then they do each episode is 1900 1901 1902 so they do an episode basically doing the history of that year and and talking about everything that went on during that and it's it's extraordinarily well researched i mean just you know there's five people that are involved in this show and just absolutely brilliant work that they do yes yeah, so i remember um yeah the tigers go back to to winning um 1899 i think 1900 the won a couple around that time, but you, you wouldn't recognize uh, half of the teams um, that were around back then either. Right, right. Yep, absolutely. Well, Simon, I, I appreciate you coming on today, sir. Have a fantastic <laughs> weekend, and uh, I hope things go fantastically well for the Tigers this year, and I hope COVID uh, finally yep. gets, <laughs> gets, gets done or we all have it, and we, you know, if we get it and it, we realize it's just like a cold or whatever. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice here. <laughs> Let's just see if we can get through this season. I think that's all we want. At the there, moment. You, there you go. That's, that's exactly what we want to have happen. And a big thanks again to Simon for sitting down to talk about his beloved Tigers. That was a great conversation. Simon, thank you very much. And don't forget, you can reach me at a yank on the 40 at gmail.com and at yank underscore on on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook at a yank on the footy. You can also find the podcast by searching my name, Craig Wessels, over on YouTube. And like I said, I hope you'll consider signing up for the mailing list over on my website, yankonthefooty.com. And folks, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening because uh, we're fans of our clubs. The women's comp is going like gangbusters. Earlier today, the uh, arguably the best game of the women's season so far took place between the, the Crows and the Bulldogs. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but the Bulldogs uh, got out to a big lead and hung on for a one-point victory over the ladder-leading Crows, which allowed the uh, Dockers to move back up to the top spot on the women's ladder there. So I want to thank you again for listening. We love our clubs. And uh, if you're enjoying the show, I do hope that you'll consider sharing a link to this episode or even just to my website with your friends and family who enjoy footy. And folks, again, thanks for listening, and thanks for your kind words and your words of support. If you want to leave a review for the podcast, you can do that over at my website as well. And as always, may your dribble kick never hit the post. I'll catch you later. This has been episode 127 of A Yank on the Footy. Again, you can reach me at yank underscore on on Twitter or to yankonthefooty at gmail.com and check out my website at yankonthefooty.com. And ladies and gentlemen, until next time, goodbye.